0: Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. We're at the end of a week where Lewis Hamilton, seven times Formula One champion, is super fast on the track. Dominic Cummings is out of number 10, box of stuff in hand. Boris is staying in at number 10, another Covid captive. But the hot news of hope from the UK and America as well is that the vaccination is on its way with a 90 or 95% rating for effectiveness. Hopeful news indeed. 200 years ago, when I was a brand new Christian – okay, mild exaggeration there – I was keen to share news of another kind of hope. It was the 70s, an era of great music and appalling fashions. We staggered around on platform hills, chaps wore jackets with lapels wide enough to cause one to take off in a high wind, and we wore something disgusting called flared trousers. It was as if a fashion demon was roaming the earth, mugging us all with appalling dress sense. In the church that I was delighted to be part of, something else was very much in fashion, evangelism, the habit of sharing the gospel with people who were not Christians, and we were very, very keen. Our weekly group gatherings would include excited updates about Fred, because John had had the opportunity to chat about Jesus with him during a lunch break, or Sally, because she was going through a rough time, and she would asked Ruth, a fellow nurse who was also part of our church, to pray for her. We really wanted to change the world, and we wanted to change the world today. This was more than just recruiting for our church. Back then, a chap called Andre Crouch sang a song that included a line, "'Jesus is the answer,' for the world today. And we genuinely believe that to be true. So we spoke out, we spoke up loud and clear. 40 years later, I'm nervous that many of us have gone rather quiet, including myself. So this week on Lucas on Life, we're talking about talking about Jesus and his amazing grace. It all started when some gremlins visited. While I was sleeping, those bacterial invaders quietly removed the inside lining of my throat and replaced it with sandpaper. A tickle became a cough, and the leading invader, a pesky cold virus, reduced me to a wheezing, watery-eyed, sniffling wreck, box of tissues permanently in hand. I imbibed so many of those lemony hot drinks, I probably smelt like a Spanish orchard. My snoring sounded like a warthog, according to my wife. And while Kay didn't exactly walk around ringing a bell shouting, unclean, unclean, she certainly kept her distance. But one of the worst symptoms of all was the loss of my voice. For someone who preaches a lot, broadcasts here on Premier Radio, and generally likes to chat to people, this was not good. Parked in bed, stuffed to the gills with legal pharmaceuticals, it occurred to me that for a couple of decades or so, I had been battling with voice loss, which has nothing to do with my vocal cords. When I first heard the good news about Jesus and decided to follow him, I was very loud about God. With the bellicose hollering of a town crier, I shared the gospel message with anybody who would listen and with quite a few who were desperate not to listen. Like an excitable salesperson paid by commission, I viewed anybody in my nearby proximity as a prospect. The mistaken notion that single-handedly, one must tell everybody that one meets about Jesus and be somewhat responsible for their eternal destiny makes a chap feel a little jumpy. Many of my attempts to share the good news made it sound less than good. Clumsily, I tried to wrench every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, would you like a cheese sandwich? Some kind soul would inquire. My grinning response was certainly cheesy. No, thank you. I have the bread of life. How about you? Some people started to avoid me as though I was infectious, and when my sharing became an endless monologue, I'm sure I heard some snoring from others here and there. Then came the gradual change. I heard someone quoting St. Francis of Assisi, famous for chatting with squirrels, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Unaware that the great man never said that, my voice went quiet. Francis did say all the friars should preach by their deeds. He also said there's no use walking anywhere to preach if your walking isn't your preaching. But he did use words, lots of words. Francis sometimes visited five villages in one day to talk to people about Jesus. But tragically, His famous quotes have been misquoted and used as an excuse to justify our silence. Red-faced and head down, I began to hurry past that ranting street preacher with his loud hailer and repent now poster. As he yelled threats at passing shoppers, I decided I want to be nothing like him. My voice went quieter still. Some people teach that our acts of love and service in the community don't always have to be accompanied by gospel explanations, and that's certainly true enough. But if we are rendered totally speechless about the reason for our caring, surely we become a welcome and respected but benign bunch of do-gooders. The gospel has always been news to both show and tell. In Paul's letter to Titus, Paul encouraged the church in Crete to live lives that would enhance the gospel, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. You can read it in Titus 2 verse 10. That doesn't mean that every act of goodness must be accompanied by a proclamation, welcome to the food bank, you must be born again. But we do need to be prepared to give an answer, the reason for the hope that we have, 1 Peter 3:15. That does imply that we'll be responding to a question rather than sprinting to an answer when none has been requested, but words will still be needed to give that response. Peter also adds that we need to do this with gentleness and respect, so I still won't be joining in with that ranting street preacher. Nevertheless, the gospel is news. We, through words and example, are newscasters, sharers of vital information. Sadly, we don't always do a good job at newscasting. This was illustrated recently during yet another trip through an airport. I especially dislike the immigration area with those automatic barriers. I worried that a malfunctioning gait might treat me to a free amputation, and I like both my legs. Approaching the immigration zone in Heathrow Airport recently, I joined the mildly befogged gaggle of bleary-eyed passengers who were sleep-deprived from their night flights and perhaps suffering from too much airborne alcohol. Unsure of which lane to choose, I approached a bored-looking chap who was sporting an employee badge. He would be the one to ask, or so I thought, but I was so very wrong. "'Am I in the right lane for passport check?' I asked. "'Go whatever there green light,' he mumbled, which did nothing to dispel my confusion. "'Sorry?' What did you say? I ventured hopefully, but in vain. Yeah, go, stand, wait. No, no, He what? He replied, which made me wonder if he'd been up all night enjoying the fruit of the vine. Other passengers approached him. He grunted, responding with sentences that were quite incomprehensible. He impatiently waved some on without an answer. One by one, people shrugged their shoulders and shuffled on, none the wiser. It was then that I noticed that this uncommunicative chap had a huge letter I enclosed in a fluorescent yellow circle with the word information underneath printed on the back of his t-shirt. He is employed for one purpose, to provide information for hapless, weary travellers. Being informative is his job description, but for whatever reason, nobody could extract anything remotely helpful from him. There are lost people who very much need to be found. They need to be informed about the way to life who knows? Perhaps today we might be able to nudge someone towards Christ, but that won't happen if you and I are incoherent, irrelevant, or inaudible. Being informative about Jesus, it's our job description. In short, I want to get my voice back. How about you? Talking about Jesus, that's our theme this evening. I keep bumping into confrontational evangelists, I recently took a tube journey which included a chance encounter with a toothless herald of the gospel. As I lined up to get my ticket, a brother who was seriously challenged in the molar department came down the queue. Who's a believer here? He hissed, quickly adding, there's heaven and there's hell. Choose Jesus. He clutched a folder which contained gaudy medieval portrayals of both destinations. He opened the folder and flicked quickly through plastic-covered snapshots of sinners being barbecued forever and poked around with pitchforks. "'What's it to be, then? Heaven or hell?' he demanded. A nervous lady said that she only wanted to go to Upminster. "'I fled.' It happened again in a local shopping centre. A small grey man stood ramrod straight with his right arm held aloft. His gloved hand defiantly clutched a huge placard. I sneaked a look at his poster. Repent ye, screamed the thick Gothic text. The end is nigh. I cast my eyes downwards again, hoping to hurry past the brave little man, but it was not to be. His was a multimedia presentation, placard and voice. It was a big, fearful boom from one so slight. The Lord is not to be mocked, he thundered. Hell is a reality Turn from sin today. My head-down, rush-past-him strategy failed dismally. He caught my eye, and a laser beam of penetrating interrogation shot into my soul from his direction. You, sir, where will you spend eternity? I wasn't really in the mood for a warm, brotherly conversation at 300 decibels, and I didn't have a poster, so I mumbled, heaven, thank you, and fled for cover into a shop. In the bright warmth of that shop, I felt safe again, but somewhat pursued by questions, and not questions about my eternal destination. As I appeared out of the window at the grey man who was now barking at another terrified prospect, a blanket of unease shrouded me. He was undeniably brave, standing out in the cold with his dog-eared poster, but was he wise? Was this provocative style of his really bringing any good news to people or did it just repel passers-by like a swift, apocalyptic kick in the teeth? Was this the way Jesus would have proclaimed his message, or did the man look more like one of the angrier Old Testament prophets? I believe that there is a hell to be shunned, and so it could be argued that mugging shoppers with the message is appropriate. But is hell the cornerstone of our message, or is that honor reserved for Jesus himself, the good news being good news? As I rambled absent-mindedly around the shop looking for absolutely nothing at all, I searched deeper into my own concerns and questions about evangelism. With all of our seeker-friendly but be culturally relevant bring good news not bad approaches, we must face the fact that most of us Christians feel intimidated, uncomfortable and unsure about the best way to effectively share our faith with people." I've had brief flirtations with just about every evangelistic approach there is. I went through a phase where I really felt that I was doing God and God's world a massive favor as I buttonholed people with my message, eager to capture as many salvation scalps as possible. I tried the utterly unsubtle approach with my then non-Christian father. My warm attempts of sharing the love of God with him went something like this, Dad. He's quietly reading the newspaper, saying nothing. I enter the room. Me. Hello, Dad. As you know from the contents of my daily evangelistic monologue, I am a Christian as per the copy of Journey Into Life, which I helpfully left under your pillow just in case you should come to your senses during the night hours. You, sadly, are not currently listed among the elect. You are therefore destined for a long swim in the lake of fire. Have a nice day, Dad quietly continues to read the newspaper, I exit the room, embarrassed. But then we can swing wildly to the other extreme, where we live out the good news in our communities, happy that we're being salt and light, but as I mentioned earlier in the program, neverly actually talking about Jesus in the process. And we congratulate ourselves on our cringe-free evangelism. Any outsiders think that we're nice, and even rather cool, but never get to meet the Jesus who died and lives to save them. We run the risk of becoming evangelical liberals, do-gooders without a reason, or an explanation for our goodness. My bookshelf is crammed with books telling me the right way to do evangelism. But I just know that if I weren't a Christian, I wouldn't want to be someone's project. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a monologue where I was barely given room to respond. I wouldn't want to be told that my views were going to be used in a survey which didn't actually exist, the survey being a made-up ruse as an excuse for conversation. And I wouldn't want to be patronised, press-ganged or threatened, interrogated or intimidated or made to feel that I know nothing at all about life. Rebecca Manley Pippett expressed something of the crisis that many of us feel. There was a part of me that secretly felt that evangelism was something you shouldn't do to your dog, let alone a friend, she said. So, would Jesus use the placard approach? He was not content with impersonal messages. He didn't just send us an email from heaven announcing his love. Rather, he came among us. He came down into our squalor and became a man. We celebrate that in the coming Advent season. He refused to keep the power of the Holy Spirit himself, but dropped gentle prophetic exorcets on the woman at the well during a lunch break. So let's ask Jesus to help us to speak up, to be a good news message in word and in deed. Our friends, and maybe even our dogs, will thank us for it. Surely we're coming into a time, as we approach that Advent season that I mentioned earlier, we're coming into a time when it's entirely reasonable to talk about what the Christmas message really is. It's not about an oversized chap trying to squeeze his way through the pipes of our central heating. It's not about elves. It's not about reindeer. It is about the Jesus who has broken into our world to rescue us all. Now, that's really worth talking about. And just to say, I would love to hear from you, just your thoughts about the show, even subjects that you'd like me to look at. Why not send me an email to premier.org.uk. That's lucasonlifepremier.org.uk. Lucas on Life. At